We are in a teaching series called Rest on Us. Rest on us. And, and we took that from Isaiah 11:2, where Isaiah, prophesying about the Messiah, said the Spirit of God would rest on him. And as the Spirit of God rested on him, the attributes of the Holy Spirit would also be upon him. And we know that Jesus said, in fact, we read it this morning in our rooted Bible reading, that Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so now we want the Holy Spirit to rest on us. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit, the attributes of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit at work in our lives. And so we are doing a study on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and our goal is, is to take the gifts of the Holy Spirit out of the realm of the controversial or the strange or anything like that. For those of you that don't have a background in the charismatic church and you're just like, I don't know about this. We want to take it out of the realm of being something strange or, or peripheral. And understand that every gift of the Holy Spirit is powerful and practical. Every gift is powerful and practical. And so as a reminder, here is our definition of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is an act of God's Spirit to produce a concrete manifestation in word or deed. What does that mean, a concrete manifestation? It means people can see it and hear it. And it's either something we say or something we do for God's grace to minister to an individual, through an individual, for the benefit of others. That's so important. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the benefit of others. They're not for you to get noticed, for you to get famous, for you to get attention. They're for the benefit of others. And we want to have the right heart and the right motive. And so depending on uh, your interpretation of Scripture, you could say that there's either 9, 16, or 21 gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul taught, or you can take the really broad view and say that any act of God moving through our lives is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? But what we're doing in this series is we're going to teach all 21 gifts that Paul taught in the Scriptures. And we've broken them up into five categories. These categories are made up. They're not biblical. We just broke them up into these categories to make them easier to teach. And so you can see our categories. Last Sunday, we taught the three revelation gifts. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the distinguishing of spirits. So if you missed that one, go back and listen to the podcast. Today, we're going to teach the three power gifts. Next Sunday, we're going to teach the three vocal gifts. Then we're going to teach the seven serving gifts. And finally, we're going to teach the five office gifts. That's what we're going to be doing over the next few Sundays. So let's get into this today. We're going to talk about the power gifts. You can find your notes in the bulletin or they're attached to this video, or they're attached to this audio. Here's our big picture point today. The power gifts are moments of supernatural intervention when the Holy Spirit empowers an individual to change things in the natural realm. Right? These are moments of supernatural intervention where we are able to change things in the natural realm, not by our power, but simply because the power of God is working through us and God's ministry can be accomplished. Going back to Isaiah 11.2, this relates to the declaration that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of strength, or depending on your translation, it might say the spirit of might or the spirit of power. He is the spirit of power, and we want to talk about the power gifts, which are the gift of faith, the gifts of healings, 
and the effecting of miracles or the working of miracles. These are the three gifts that we're going to uh, get into today. Remember, as we study each of these gifts, we're looking for them to fulfill one or more of the three purposes, which is for the common good, for the benefit of others, for the building up of the church, or for the confirming of the gospel. Right? We want to see the spiritual gifts fulfill at least one of those purposes, if not all three of those purposes. So the power gifts, right? We've got uh, the gift of faith, the gifts of healings, and the effecting of miracles. Now, a lot of people lump all three of these together and say, well, they're all basically the same thing, so we're just going to lump them together into one gift. Well, I have a problem with that, and the reason why is because you know who didn't lump them together? was Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit to write Scripture. He didn't lump them together. He listed them as distinct, different gifts, and he did it more than once. And so if Paul didn't lump them together, we shouldn't either. Yes, they're very similar, but what I went after today in studying them, or what I went after this week to share with you today in studying them, was what are the distinctions? Why are they three different gifts? So let's read this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And then if we jump down to verse 28, he distinguishes them again. He says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Right? So he distinguishes between these three power gifts. Now, As I was reading this, I was thinking to myself that there's probably people in the church that are thinking, I'm just going to wait until he teaches the serving gifts. Because I can serve, and those seem kind of easy, so I'm going to wait for those ones. Well, my answer to that would be to remember, we don't choose the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit distributes them to us as He wills. So it's not our choice. The other problem is, is that if we were a church that was just full of people that had serving gifts, according to Paul's metaphor, we would be like a body that was made up of nothing but feet. And that would be a weird-looking body that wouldn't be very effective for doing anything, right? If we all just have the serving gifts, then where would the revelation come from? If we all just have the serving gifts, where would the power come from? Right, So let's not just wait and and look for a gift that seems easy. Let's keep our hearts open to truly say, Holy Spirit, what gift are you giving me? And whatever I feel the unction for, am I going to step out in faith and courage and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? All right, so let's start with the gift of faith. The gift of faith. The word faith is the Greek word pistis. 
It appears 243 times in the New Testament. So obviously faith is an important word when it comes to understanding who we are as followers of Jesus. In the standard Greek, faith means to trust, to believe, to rely on, to have confidence in. But in the standard Greek usage, it tended to refer to things that you could see, right? I trust a person. I have confidence in a a machine or an invention, right? I, I believe in this person. I rely on this person. Christianity took faith to a different level. That we would have all of these things, trust, belief, reliance, confidence, in things that we cannot see. Hebrews 11.1 gives the best definition of faith that the Bible has. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for. Other translations say it's the substance of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. Other translations would say an evidence of things not seen. It is the substance of things hoped for. That means that we're hoping for something that hasn't happened yet, but as far as we're concerned, it's real in our lives right now. It has substance. That there are things that I cannot see, but the evidence of those things is my faith. Think about that. Now, I'm not trying to put down apologetics because I think apologetics is really important. And if you've been gifted uh, to defend the faith and argue logically, that's awesome. But not everybody comes to Christ just through logical arguments. When it really comes down to it and people say, well, what is the evidence that God is real? We can say the evidence is I believe. And that's enough evidence for me. Faith is the evidence of things not seen the proof of the things that we don't see. So in the Christian faith, right, we are to trust in Jesus as Lord. We are to trust in God's word. We are to trust in God's character and who he is that it never changes. We are to have hope in the promises of God. A very specific teaching in Christianity is that to believe is to obey. And and so uh, faith works itself out in our lives that we live in obedience to what Jesus tells us to do. I love Hebrews chapter 10. It says that those of faith are those who don't back down when life gets hard. And then also when the Bible refers to the faith, it's referring to the sum total of what we believe as Christians. Right? That Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost to dwell in each one of us so that we can live by the power of Jesus in our lives. The sum total of what we believe is called the faith. So, We all have to have faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to be a Christian without faith. So we all have faith. So the gift of faith as a gift of the Holy Spirit has to be something more, right? It has to be something to another level that is distributed just to certain people within the church. So what is the gift of faith? Let's start in 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Paul said, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So let's start with the foundation that faith moves mountains. 
And Paul is just relating a teaching of Jesus. If we go to Mark chapter 11, Jesus curses the fig tree. The fig tree shrivels up. The, his followers are amazed that the fig tree shriveled up, and he uses that as an opportunity to give them this teaching. Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it'll be granted to him. So there is an aspect of the gift of faith that you believe with such certainty that you can move mountains. But there's one more step to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Paul writes this, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. Paul says if you have the spirit of faith, right, so you've got the gift of faith, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you have the spirit of faith, you will speak. So if we put all of that together, here is the definition that I put in your notes. The gift of faith is to know what God is going to do and to believe it with such complete certainty that you can speak it into existence. That is the gift of faith. It moves mountains. Not everybody has it. But when it's your moment and the Holy Spirit chooses to distribute it to you and you feel this unction inside of you that God is going to do something and you believe it with such certainty that you speak it out and it happens. Again, we can always use Jesus as an example, right? He spoke to the wind and the waves and they stopped. He cursed the fig tree and it shriveled up. But let's look at a specific instance of Paul operating in the gift of faith. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is being transported as a prisoner to Rome, and the way to get to Rome from the Middle East was to travel by boat through the Mediterranean Sea. And it, it wasn't as fast as it is today. It was a long voyage. And so on the voyage, they make several stops at different ports. They're picking up more prisoners along the way, taking all the prisoners to Rome. And, and they're at this one port, and it's almost winter, and winter is too dangerous to sail in the Mediterranean Sea. And so ship captains will look for a port where they can set in for winter. So this is where we pick up the story in Acts 27, where they're about to set out from ports, even though the weather is not looking great, and it's about time to settle in for the winter. In verse 9, Paul has a word of wisdom. It said, when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast, which was the day of atonement, was already over, Paul started admonishing them, saying to them, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. So he gives a word of wisdom from the Lord. Let's stay right here. It's too dangerous to sail. It says, but the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. The captain said, no, we can make it to the port of Phoenix. That's a great port to spend winter in. Let's get to that port. And the centurion was like, okay, nobody listen to Paul. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We're going to go. 
Well, of course, Paul was right. And it says in verse 18, the next day we were being violently tossed by the storm. They began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was slowly abandoned. All right, so this is the setting. Paul told them not to go. They went anyway. Now they've been stuck in a huge storm for several days, and they all pretty much know they're going to die. It goes on to say, when many had lost their appetites, that's a really nice way of saying everybody was vomiting all over the place because the ship was moving around so much. Paul then stood up among them, and I want you to listen to what Paul said. This is the gift of faith in operation. Men, you should have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete. So he had to throw a little I told you so in there first before he said what God told him to say. And thereby spared yourselves this damage and loss. And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. Listen, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong, whom I also serve, came to me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has graciously granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. This is the gift of faith in operation. Paul got a word from God. He happened to get it in an angelic vision. We talked a couple weeks ago about all the different ways we can get a word from God. Paul got it in an angelic vision, and he believed it with such certainty that he stood up in the middle of the ship, in the middle of the storm, and spoke in faith. God told me that we're all going to survive. The ship is going to be completely destroyed, but somehow none of us are going to die. That's the gift of faith. How does the story end up? Let's skip down to the end of the chapter. But they struck a reef where two seas met and ran the ship aground, and the prow struck firmly and remained immovable while the stern started to break up due to the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from accomplishing their intention and commanded that those who could swim were to jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest were to follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. The ship was completely destroyed, but nobody died. Paul spoke it into existence. Are you guys tracking with me? That is the gift of faith. You have a word from the Lord, and you believe it with such certainty that you will speak it into existence. Amen? Anybody getting excited yet? Come on. The second one is the gifts of healing. Now, there's two interesting things about this idea of the gifts of healings. The first is that the word that Paul uses for healing, iyama, he only uses in this chapter. So this word, he reserved this word just for this gift. So it makes it kind of impossible to study it because the word doesn't appear anywhere else. But the word that it's related to, ia omai, 
is used 26 times in the New Testament. And so this we can study. And this word, not only does it mean to heal, it also means to cure or to renew. So what can we learn about healing from studying the word iaomai? First, we learn that it refers to physical healing. You can write that in your notes. Physical healing. And there are several examples, but I like Acts 28.8. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with a recurring fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after he prayed, he laid his hands on him, and Eomai healed him. Fever and dysentery. As I studied this word, we see that not only was fever and dysentery healed, but leprosy was healed, paralysis was healed, hemorrhaging was healed, extreme swelling was healed, or my personal favorite, a chopped off ear was put back on. Physical healing. The second meaning of this word is to deliver from demonic oppression. To deliver from demonic oppression. Luke 9.42, now while he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy, Eomai, and gave him back to his father. How was the boy healed? The demonic spirit was cast out. Acts 10.38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing, Eomai, all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So part of this idea of healing is delivering people from demonic oppression. Now, I'm not here to argue whether the demon's inside of you, on top of you, around you, behind you, wherever it is. But if a demon is oppressing you in any way, the gift of healing can deliver you from that demonic oppression. And the third aspect of this word, eomai, is spiritual renewal. And what spiritual renewal really means is being healed from the effects of sin upon your life. That is spiritual renewal. In Matthew 13, 15, this is actually quoting Isaiah 6, 10, and Jesus quotes this and Paul quotes this. It says, For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. Eomai. It's teaching that when we repent of our sins, there is a healing that comes, a spiritual renewal, being healed from the effect of sin upon our life. Peter taught the same thing. And he himself, Jesus, brought our sins in his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. Eomai. The work of Jesus on the cross heals us from the effects of sin upon our life. So we can see that when Paul is talking about the gift of healing, that is an opportunity where we can see somebody healed physically, see somebody delivered from demonic oppression, or see somebody renewed from the effects of sin upon their life. The other interesting thing about this idea of the gifts of healing is that this is the only one of the spiritual gifts that is referred to in the plural. It's not the gift of healing. It's gifts of healing. 
And Paul says it three times in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So it's not like he just said it once on accident. He refers to the gifts of healing in the plural. So what does that mean? Well, we don't know exactly. Theologians have theorized that it could mean that there are a variety of ways to heal. Right? Some healings happen instantaneously. Some healings happen gradually. Some healings happen after somebody has dealt with an issue in their life. Healings can happen differently. Some theologians also theorize that it means that there are a variety of different gifts of healing. That there are quote-unquote specialized gifts of healing. So my pastor, Bob McGregor, would tell you that he has the gift of healing cancer. His success rate in praying for people with cancer is unbelievable. He feels like that is a specialized gift that the Holy Spirit has given him. So the gifts of healing could refer to the fact that there are a variety of specialized gifts of healing, and you might be given one of them. But it's just interesting that this is the only gift that is referred to in the plural. There's more than one of them. So we put all of that together to come up with this definition. The gifts of healing is a variety of divine abilities given by the Holy Spirit to see people be healed physically, healed from demonic oppression, or healed from the effects of sin through our ministry. So you may feel the unction of the Holy Spirit coming upon you to pray for somebody, specifically for their physical healing or for a deliverance from something in their life. And if you would step out and obey the unction of the Holy Spirit, God would use you to see somebody be healed. Amen? We got one more. The effecting of miracles. The effecting of miracles. This is what blew me away when I went to study this, is that the word for miracles is the word dunamis. That might sound familiar to you because I've preached on the word dunamis before. At first glance, it's obvious that this is where we get the English word for dynamite, right? So it refers to explosive power. But we've always taught the word dunamis to mean power or might or strength, right? He is the spirit of power, the spirit of might, the spirit of strength. And I taught this from Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be endued with power from on high to be my witnesses, right? power. So I was blown away. I was like, wait a minute. It's the same word. So 92 times in the New Testament, dunamis is translated power. 13 times it's translated mighty works. And eight times it's translated miracles or miraculous. Three of those eight times we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he refers to the gift of miracles. So to study what does it mean to have the gift of effecting miracles, let's look at those other five verses that are translated miracles and see what God teaches us. Galatians 3.5, So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Right. So first off, this is a reminder that it is God who is the one who works miracles among us. We simply make ourselves available as conduits of the Holy Spirit that God could work miracles through us. Mark 6.14, and King Herod heard about it. What did he hear about? All the miracles of Jesus and his disciples. 
for Jesus' name had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers, dunamis, are at work in him. So in your blanks there in your notes, the first word I want you to fill in is unexplainable. Miracles were happening, and they couldn't figure it out, so they were trying to make stuff up to try to explain it. They're like, well, King Herod, you cut off John the Baptist's head. You probably shouldn't have done that because now he's resurrected in the form of this guy, Jesus, and they're doing miracles. It's unexplainable when things that are happening and people either can't explain it or they have to make stuff up to explain it. That's dunamis. Acts 8.13, now even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was repeatedly amazed. Great miracles. So the second blank, you can write in the word great. In Greek, the word great is the word mega. So literally, they were saying Philip was performing mega miracles. Hallelujah. It means remarkable, out of the ordinary, in degree, magnitude, or effect, surprising or amazing. So when something happens and somebody is surprised or amazed, that's dunamis. Acts 19.11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So your third word is extraordinary, which of course is extraordinary. In the Greek, it's actually written in the negative. It says, not ordinary is what we translate as extraordinary. But it means to be exceptional in any way, especially in quality, ability, size, or degree. So when things are happening in a degree or a size that is exceptional, that's dunamis. And then how about Hebrews 2.4? God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles, dunamis, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. So the fourth word I want you to write in there is various, which means a great variety or a great diversity. Miracles aren't just one thing. It's not just people getting healed in one way. There is a variety of miracles. Listen to this, this list of miracles. How about every species of animals coming to a big boat that Noah had built himself? How about women conceiving children when they are past the age of childbirth? How about ten plagues striking the nation of Egypt? The Red Sea parting so that the children of Israel could walk through it. The walls of Jericho falling down when the people shouted, except for the part that had Rahab's house in it, because Rahab had protected the spies. How about being thrown into a fiery furnace and not being burned? How about spending the night in a den of lions and not being touched? How about tiny, under-equipped armies defeating massive armies? How about the dead being raised to life again? That's a pretty diverse list, yeah? That entire list is just in Hebrews chapter 11. That's just one chapter from the Bible that shows us the diversity of miracles. So what is dunamis? Dunamis is mighty works. It is working the power of God in such a way that is unexplainable, that is surprising, that it's great, that it's extraordinary, that it's exceptional, and that it's diverse, that it's various. 
That's what dunamis means. And so what is the effecting of miracles? It's the divine ability to perform works of power in order to accomplish God's purposes or confirm God's proclamation. Right? So we don't walk around affecting miracles every day. We can't just do it when we want to. But when God has a purpose to be accomplished or when he wants to confirm the declaration of the gospel through signs and wonders, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will have an unction to pray for a miracle, and you can pray for it, and God will move. Amen? Let me have the worship team come back up today. Here's what I want to do. I want us to sing one more song to sow into this atmosphere of miracles. So we're going to sing a new song. It's not a brand new song. It came out two years ago, but it's new to us here at Kauai Bible Church. And then I want us to be obedient. We're not going to try to conjure something up. We're not going to try to make something happen ourselves. We're just going to simply listen to the Holy Spirit as we sing this song. And if you feel an unction of the Holy Spirit to either come up on stage and speak something out or to go to somebody here in the church and pray for them and to believe for a miracle, to believe for a healing, to believe for a deliverance. I want you to be obedient and do that. And that's what we're going to do right now before we wrap up today. Here's some questions to consider. Have you ever felt the unction to pray for something or declare something that is far outside of what would be expected in the natural realm? Right, You feel this unction. I'm supposed to say something, but man, this is way outside of what anybody would expect. Have you had the faith and the courage to speak it out loud? That's what we're believing for today. The Holy Spirit has given us some of these gifts. Has given some of us these specific gifts. That's what I'm trying to say. But have we had the courage to step out? Have you ever seen supernatural things take place when you ministered to somebody because you were willing to step out in faith? Come on, will you stand with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the understanding of your word. And so, Lord, I pray that the seeds that were sown today would take root in our heart and begin to produce fruits. Lord, we open ourselves up to your Holy Spirit right now. God, we're not going to try to do anything in our strength. We're not going to try to conjure anything up with the work of our hands. But, Lord, we stand upon your word that says that you have distributed these gifts of power to some in this church. And that when miracles happen, the gospel is confirmed. Faith levels rise. And word gets out on the streets that, Lord, you are at work. And so, Lord, our desire is to glorify your name. Our desire is to accomplish your purposes. So, Holy Spirit, would you begin to move right now? Holy Spirit, would you distribute these gifts that we could see the operation of faith, the operation of healings, the operation of miracles would take place in this environment of faith, Lord. We thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for that, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Let it flow right now. We open ourselves up to you. We pray for the courage to be obedient to the unction. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship, and then let's move in the Spirit.